I've uh, entitled today's message Living by Faith. And uh, throughout chapter 10, the underlying message is that we have been saved by faith. And the writer of Hebrews now moves into chapter 11, and we're encouraged in chapter 11 to live by faith. Hebrews 10.38, for the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. But what does that look like? What does faith look like? What does it look like to live by faith? How is it demonstrated? What does it mean? To understand where the writer is taking us, we need to go back to the close of chapter 10, where he calls for perseverance in verse 36. Says persevere. He then quotes from Habakkuk chapter two, and for those who were here last week, we saw that uh, the great Babylonian army was on its way. As he's quoting from Habakkuk, the the army is on its way, sweeping away all in its wake. Israel would not stop Babylon, and the writer of Hebrews calls the people to do just as the writer of Habakkuk was doing, persevere, hold on to your faith. They might already feel as though they're in tough times. They might already feel as though their world has been turned on its head. But keep trusting in the Lord. Take your lead from those who have gone before. Take your lead from those that we call the ancients, from the Old Testament, who were living by faith. And so we come to chapter 11, verse 1, very familiar verse. Often we quote the first bit. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Being sure, being certain. The ancients were sure, they were certain. They were commended for it. Are we living like we are certain of what we hope for? Or you were living like, oh, yeah, I'm hopeful. Are we certain? Living like we're certain for what we hope for. He's just said that we don't belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who believe and are saved. We have faith in our God. He's wanting us to join with what he's already said in in chapter 9 and 10. We have faith in our God. We won't throw away our confidence in him. We will not stop meeting together. We will encourage one another. We will spur one another on to love and good deeds and toward greater faith. We will draw near to God. We will hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. He says, let us... Think about the ancients and their faith. How they persevered through tough times because they believed in the power, they believed in the goodness of God. But interestingly, before he then goes on to list the ancients, verse 3, he he speaks of the ancients coming up, but verse 3. But faith, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is, what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Nothing existed before. 
But at God's command, creation sprang to life. So if God could make everything that we now see out of nothing, out of what was not seen, then let us hold on to our faith in God, that we are sure of what we hope for, we're certain that he's able to do what we can't see. If he did it in creation, surely he can do it now. He can do what we can't see. In other words, what may appear impossible to us is possible to God, and if if he has said that he will do it, then he will do it. There's no question about that. If he has said he will do it, he will do it. God is fully capable of performing what he's promised. He then begins to speak of the ancients and their faith. Begins with Abel. Abel was commended as being righteous because he offered God the best that he could. Enoch was commended as one who pleased God. For without faith, it's impossible to please God. Are you trying to please God? Are you really trying to please God? Are you offering God your best? Are you offering him your best because you want to please him? Do you give him the best of your time and your attention? And when you do spend time with him and in his word and in prayer, do you give time to listening for his prompting? Do you ask, what do you want to change within me, Lord? Who do you want me to pray for? Or who can I encourage today? How do you want to change me, Lord? Or do you hope that he's happy enough with you? I hope he's happy enough with me. Hope that he'll give you a pass. Or do you give him your best? Offer him your best. Because you really do, you want to please him. He then goes on to speak of Noah who built the ark. And Noah builds this ark. He believes God's word, although he's never seen such a flood before. And he's never seen such a boat before. But, okay, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll build this, I'll build this big, big ark. Abraham, too, didn't know what he was, where he was going. But God had said to him, I'm leading you to the promised land, so just follow. And he does, he follows. They heard the word of the Lord, they believed, and in faith they obeyed. Do we obey the word of the Lord? When we don't know the direction, where we might end up, when it seems more logical to go in another direction... Do we obey the prompting of the Lord anyway? Abraham is then mentioned again. He became the father of nations because he believed God's word and God does what flatly seemed impossible 
You see, both in creation and with Abraham and Sarah, God brought life where there was none. God brought life. He then gave them a land, a home that was not their own. You see, trusting in God's word leads to seeing what was not seen. They saw what was not previously seen. So living a life of faith means offering God the best that we can, seeking to please him in the way that we live out our daily lives. What can I do to please you, Lord? Living by faith means trusting God, even when it doesn't seem logical, obediently following his plans and directions. This all then leads to seeing what was not seen, watching God produce life out of nothing. And their ultimate destination of faith is first declared in chapter, sorry, in verse 10 of chapter 11. And it's repeatedly mentioned through to the end of chapter 13. And it's the word city. Five times the word appears with reference to not just a city, an earthly city, but the eternal city. The city in glory. Abraham was looking forward, verse 10 says, was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. The city, the eternal city, the the new Jerusalem. And for all of the ancients mentioned, they received their eternal rewards. And the writer is calling the people to keep their eternal reward in the glorious city firmly in their focus. Keep the eternal reward, the new Jerusalem, firmly in your focus. Living by faith means keeping the future that lies beyond the grave in your present day thinking. I'm living like this because I'm looking forward to glory. But it's so hard in this life at times to keep remembering the future glory with a focus on it because we come, become so focused on the here and now and making this our home. Thus we come to verses 13 to 16. All the people were still living but all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. But if they were, had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were looking for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. God is not ashamed to be known as the God of those who stumble and fall, of those who aren't perfect, of those who don't get it right all the time. Because you read the Old Testament, you read about the ancients, and you see that. They stumbled, they fell, they didn't get it right, they weren't perfect, but they were living by faith. 
They didn't necessarily receive the things that were promised, but they welcomed them from afar as they understood that they were sojourners just passing through this life. I trust that that's how you see yourself, just passing through this life into eternity. This is not our home. And they were looking for a better country, their heavenly city that has been prepared not just for them but for each one of us. You see, God loved them. He called them. They believed in him. They put their trust in him. They took him at his word. They were living by his promises right through to death. God loves you. He's called you. He's revealed himself to you. He's drawn you by his spirit. He's given you his word and his promises within. And I trust that you are trusting him right through to death. You see, these great saints of the faith, even before the resurrection of Jesus, this is, this is the Old Testament folk even before Jesus' resurrection, they believed in life after death. Verse 13, 16, They were foreigners and strangers on the earth. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Abraham was looking forward to the eternal city, it says in verse 10. And they recalled Enoch, who demonstrated that the life goes on. It doesn't just end. Life goes on. Thus we move into verses 17 to 19. And this is exciting stuff, I reckon. And here we see Abraham is taking God seriously as the creator, as the life giver, but also as the one who can raise the dead. Verse 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. When you stop to consider that, that whole story, we hope that God would never put us through that kind of a test. Don't put me through that, Lord. Consider Abraham and that awful request that lay before him and consider Isaac as he allows his dad to, to bind him and place him on the altar. What was going through their minds as Abraham lifts up the knife the emotional turmoil. How did they both feel? This test reveals the extraordinary level of faith that God demands. An extraordinary level of faith God demands. Are we prepared to lay that which is most important to us on the altar and sacrifice it? So what's most important to you? Because God might ask you to do just that. 
And it might be the very thing that you have thought God had purposefully given to you, as it was with Abraham. Are you prepared to lay down that which is most important to you? And for some of you, that might mean your child. As parents, we have to give them back to the Lord and trust him with them at some point. We have to let them go. We have to trust them into God's care. For some of you, your child may face a medical condition that could go either way, life or death. Now, that's a test that I hope you never have to face, but can we get to that place where we can leave them in God's care, in God's hands, and ourselves in God's hands, trusting him that whatever is his will, that's okay. For some of you, that might mean your spouse. Do you love them more than you love the Lord? For the Lord is meant to be our first love. For some of you, that might mean your job. You felt that God gave you your job, has led you into that job, but are you willing to step back from it? To lose that job, not knowing what direction God might have for you in the future. What is it that is most important in your life? Are you prepared if God was to ask you to sacrifice it? And God does test the level of our faith in him. An ongoing question before us really needs to be, is God first for me? Is God really first? What other people, what other things are becoming so important to me that my relationship with God is waning or declining, that he isn't number one? And it could be sin, it could be pornography, it could be a substance reliance, drugs or alcohol, it could be an addiction to computer games or social media. What do I need to sacrifice to return to a place where I am actually putting God first? Now for Abraham he reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And perhaps as he followed through with the intended sacrifice, he was hoping that God would do just that. Oh, I'm hopeful. I am hoping that, God, you will raise Isaac back to life. And of course, there were no guarantees. God hadn't told him that he would. Is our faith in the Lord such that we do trust ourselves, trust our loved ones into God's care? Letting God be the boss. We trusting him with our, well, I think we, for most of us, we're trusting him with our eternal future, but are we trusting him with today? Trusting our loved ones into his care? Are we praying for those who don't know the Lord? trusting them into his care. 
Now, this chapter continues to recall the faith of their ancestors and the main point that he makes is that they didn't receive what they were looking for. They don't receive what they're looking for in this life. There are some who preach today that by faith you should get whatever you're looking for. So if you want a better job, you should get it. For those who might be single, you want a husband or a wife, you should get it. If you haven't got kids, well, you should pray and you should get it. If you need more money, you should get it. You should have good health. You preach that your faith should be such that you get what you're looking for. I don't see that in scripture. And I don't see that in this, chap- in this chapter. We're called to persevere. We're going to pick it up at verse 35. Women received back their dead and they they were raised to life again. We go, yes, praise the Lord, hallelujah for that. They did get what they want. But there were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. They were in prison. They refused to be released so that the torture might end their life sooner so they're going home to glory. Do you want to do that? Uh, don't think so. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin, goatskin, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains. They lived in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Jesus said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. In this world you may have trouble. But he says, in me you may also have peace. You might have trouble, but you may also have peace in me. So don't reject God. Don't turn your back on him. Don't lose your faith. Don't keep tolerating sin, justifying it, becoming insensitive to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Rather, draw near to God and live by faith. Offer God the best that you have, seeking to please him with the way that you live your daily life, in your family, in your workplace, at school, as a loving neighbour. You're seeking to be a loving neighbour. Hold on to the hope that you possess. Consider how you might encourage one another, how you might spur one another on to love and good deeds. When things are not going the way that you've planned, you're not receiving the thing that you think God should be delivering, don't lose faith in him. Keep your eyes on the future glory that lies ahead for us. 
It is then that together with the saints who have gone before that we will be made perfect, made complete. We will have joy in a fullness that we've never experienced before, forever. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients had. May we also be commended for living by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. Amen.